Thank you, Pastor Charles. Well, good morning. <clears throat> welcome to the chapel. Uh, if it's your first time here, special welcome to you. If you've never met me, my name's Joe, and I get to serve on our pastor, pastoral team here. And uh, we are continuing a series uh, talking about wisdom from the wisdom literature of the Bible. And uh, today we're talking about gluttony. And this is the second time I've been asked to give a message on gluttony, so the first one must not have worked, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and, and I was just as I was thinking about this, I wanted some ideas about what people think gluttony is, because you may have your own definition. And I was in a car. We went to visit my daughter last week in Mississippi, 12-hour car ride each way. And I said to some of the people in the vehicle, I was like, hey, give me your definition of gluttony. My seven-year-old Max said, gluttony is glue mixed with glitter. <laughs> so, I don't know. He's not reading his Bible. Uh, my wife Marlena said overeating. Um, Holly said, selfishness, no ability to see outside yourself for a long-term purpose or for a greater good, living for the short-term, living for the moment, uh, which is profound, you know, and I think that's right. Now, typically when we think of gluttony, we think of food, and I wanted to think of, like, what is this, idea? like, how could I summarize this, and I found something called the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Anybody out there? Well, here's what it is. You got to eat a dozen donuts, and you might be like, well, why is that guy wearing a running uniform? Because you run two and a half miles, eat a dozen Krispy Kremes, then run two and a half miles back. Man, that's gluttony, right? I'm like, man, like what kind of foolish glutton would like do something like this? So yesterday I registered for it. <laughs> yeah. February 3rd, I'll be in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, trying to get Charles to come with me, and I'm doing this thing, right? I'm going to teach myself a lesson. So that's gluttony, right? Uh, but, and that's a humorous example, but gluttony is really the desire for more. It's the love of more. Well, more what? Well, it could be more anything. And so we're going to look at some examples from Proverbs. We'll be in Proverbs 21 um, and Proverbs 23. So if you want to turn your Bibles to there, if you want to use the YouVersion app, we'll have the text for you on the screen. Talking about gluttony, Proverbs 21, 17 says, Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. All right, so that word pleasure, which means a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. But that, and that is certainly something good. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. And Tim Keller says it this way. He says, but when the love of pleasurable, the love of pleasurable physical sensation dominates, it's the deadly sin of gluttony. So we see that it is the love of pleasure that becomes sin, right? And yet it's more than that because we're not settled with a certain amount of pleasure, right? We always want more. And if there's one thing that gets me righteously frustrated in the, is the spirit of more that exists in our culture, and I would even say in our Christian culture today. And really, it's gluttony. It's sin. And I won't minimize it because God doesn't minimize it. And really, I'm not going to like jump around in that word sin because if we don't have a healthy sense of our own sin, then we're not going to have... We're not going to have a healthy understanding of what the gospel is, right? If we don't understand that we have sin, then what Jesus did loses its value. And so you and I all fall into this. And, and, it, doesn't, and it, it doesn't frustrate me because I'm just a grumpy person. I don't, it's not that I don't want people to be happy. But I get frustrated because gluttony robs us. 
It robs us of a lot of things. It robs us of time with God and time with others, right? You think about the, our devices. These are wonderful things, but they can also be dangerous. I mean, when was the last time you were bored? <clears throat> you weren't. You haven't been bored in 10 years because you haven't had to. We always have the world at our fingertips, <clears throat> unlimited distraction. And it protects us from boredom. It protects us from silence. It protects us from awkwardness as if those things are bad, right? When I was a kid, I was bored all the time. I'd be like, Mom, I'm bored. She's like, cool, I got some stuff for you to clean. I'm like, you know what? I'm not bored anymore. You know, or silence, you know, or awkwardness. I love it. Like, if you ever hang around with teenagers, if there's a moment of silence or like an awkward tension in the air, boom, phone out, check in Instagram or TikTok, whatever. It's just, it's just our go-to, right? Um, this, you know, our devices also fill the time in between when we could be listening to God. Uh, it lets us be, to, our devices let us be together, yet totally separate. I don't know if this is your family, but we'll be outside in the summer, sitting around a fire. Every single person is on their device. You know, like my daughter's on TikTok, my wife's on Instagram, I'm shopping for more shoes, my son's playing a game on the iPad. Like, yeah, we're all together, but we're not actually engaged because each one of us is in our own world. So it robs us. It robs us of our time because of our overcommitment. <clears throat> We've come to expect or accept that just 40 plus hours of a work week, 40 to 60 hours, that's just expected. That's the norm. That's the rule. And then beyond that, we overcommit our families to extracurriculars, clubs, events, meetings, travel teams, all of these out of a fear of being a bad parent, right? Because we're sort of told that, man, if you don't give your kid every opportunity to explore, you know, their sport, you know, travel teams, clubs, all of this stuff, then you're not giving them, you know, what they need as if just letting them be a kid is a bad thing, right? And then, and then uh, I think, too, like we work overtime just to try to keep up or maybe, you know, get ahead a little bit or to keep up with our material consumption. So it robs us of our time with God and with others. It also robs us of our resources. The more you have, the more you need. All right, more clothes, more closet space, more, more yard, more lawn equipment, and more time to maintain that yard. More house, more cleaning um, more stuff, more storage, more cars, more insurance. And when you're in this constant pursuit of more, then you're going to end up with less to give to other people, less money, less time, less energy. You're not going to have anything left over. And then gluttony also robs us of our health. You know, the top three killers in, the, in America are cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. All of those could be positively impacted by less consumption, less consumption of food, or drinks, less stress, less, a lot of different things, all right? Less would help those. Um, we, 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 it robs us because it gives us stress and anxiety just from trying to keep up with these expectations of our culture that we are supposed to live a certain way and have a certain level of more. Gluttony is the pursuit of more, and it runs our lives and our relationships. Now, where this doesn't apply is that one more box Operation Christmas Child thing, all right? Go, go, go crazy with that, all right? You do as much as you want. But you see, so this, this consumption or this, this pursuit of more, it takes over our lives, but it doesn't have to. You see, we let this happen. And so today's bottom line, if you walk out of here only remembering one thing, it's this. Don't let more be your Lord. All right. And that word let is so important. All right. Don't let your God be this belief that more work, more stuff, more activity will lead to a certain level of pleasurable existence where you finally take a deep breath and feel like ah, we made it. Right. 
until you got to lease a new car, or maybe upgrade your golf clubs, right? Or maybe pick up a small part-time job just so you can, you know, get ahead or whatever it is, get a little bit more income, which then able, it, that disables us to actually seek true contentment. Because think about this. For example, to give generously to the poor, well, that's going to deprive you of your wealth, which, you know, your wealth is what brings you physical comforts. So if all your income is tied up in making payments, then, then you're not going to have much left over to help other people who are in need. If all of your time is spent working, attending meetings and events, then you're going to have little time left over to do the inconvenient work of serving those in need. Because I've said so many times that ministry is often disguised as inconvenience. People don't typically have problems when I'm on the clock, okay? It's like, hey, can you just have your emergency But when I'm back in the office tomorrow after 9 a.m.? That would be great, thank you. No, like life happens. And if you're so busy that you can't do anything about it, then it's robbing you. You know, if all of your free time is spent distracted, then you're going to have little margin to get close with God and to be able to actually take time to be silent and listen to what he has to say. And now it's not that these things are inherently wrong, but it's how you approach them. So let's go back to Proverbs 20.21. He says, the wise have wealth and luxury. All right, so it's not about having stuff, okay? It says, though, but fools spend whatever they get. It's having too much and then using it for personal pleasure only. It's neglecting God and neglecting others with what God has given you. And paradoxically, you're going to miss where you can actually find where true contentment exists. You know, there's a deeper joy that is the byproduct of saying no to yourself for the sake of God and the sake of others. It's a byproduct of saying no to more. And the greatest mistake of gluttony is to seek happiness through, through having more rather than seeking it through God. And I wonder, like, well, why? Why, why, why does this happen? Why is it so negative? Well, gluttony has some consequences, here, Proverbs 21, 17 says, those who love pleasure become what? Poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. You see, there are consequences for those of us who have centered our lives around seeking more. There's poverty, right? But I would say not just material poverty. It comes through poverty of character, poverty of spirit, and poverty of our relationships, you're going to miss the richness of life, the abundant life that Jesus promised. Because in, in, in John 10, 10, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Now, that thief could be a lot of things, and it could certainly be gluttony, that pursuit of more. It can steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. Now, if you pause for a second and think about your life, would you say that you are experiencing life abundantly? Or would you say, no, because my life is just tied up with this pursuit of more? It's a tough question. So the bottom line is don't do it. Don't let more be your Lord. Well, how do we keep this from happening? How do we keep this from happening? Well, there's a better way to approach life. And Jesus says it in Matthew 6, He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. 
and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So what is the thrust? What's the driving force of your life? Is the driving force of your life, if you were just brutally honest, are you seeking God and his purposes, or are you seeking more? Are you seeking God, or are you seeking more? Just be brutally honest. Because what's interesting is that God says that when we seek him, the very things we desire will come as a byproduct of running after God. Now, does this mean that God will give us everything that we've ever wanted if we just seek him first? Yes. No. Okay, no. It doesn't work like that. It's not a system. Well, maybe, because what happens is when we seek after God, what happens is the desires of our hearts start to change. And what we desire starts to become what God desires for us and for others. And we'll start to see that what we tip, where we typically try to find our contentment, our identity, our joy, our peace, our happiness, our life, that those things are really short-lived at best. So there's a better way. But it isn't easy. And sometimes God will allow us to experience some very painful things to maybe even hit rock bottom in order for us to get it, right? And so it's often a lifestyle of gluttony that can lead to some pretty bad outcomes. And the writer of Proverbs talks about these in Proverbs 23. So I want to read from Proverbs 23, chapter, verses 29 through 35. It says this, Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who's always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. It goes on, you will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Now, this part of Proverbs deals with the issue of addiction. An addiction is a tragedy. Now, immediately, our minds turn to alcohol, to drugs, to gambling, those types of things. And they can certainly be that, but it could be a lot of other different things. You know, we have a tendency to be addicted towards all kinds of things. But I do want to focus on drinking for just a moment since it's very prevalent in this proverb. It's also very prevalent in our culture. And the Bible doesn't prohibit alcohol, but it says that there is a risk. Because an addiction starts with one drink, starts with one dose, uh, starts with one bet. And so how do we avoid this trap? You know, I would say, I would say that when drinks or any other vice become a consolation, a way to find relief from life, you know that you're heading into dangerous territory. I mean, think about it. What, what is it that when you are just having a day, you just need in order to make that day better, right? And now, because this happens over time until the addict is helpless, right? He wakes up saying, when can I wake up to find another drink? It's the only thing that's on their mind. Another drink, another dose, another bet, another dessert, another hour online, another episode, another hour at work, another purchase, whatever it is. Overcoming addiction, it takes a lifetime and it is never simple. 
But how do you know if you're in trouble here? Well, how do you handle anxiety? How do you handle stress? How do you handle unhappiness? Do you run to Jesus or do you run to more? But I think before we can find a solution to this gluttony problem that I would say in some capacity all of us deal with, we have to really dig a little bit deeper and we have to understand why. We have to understand why is this a problem? Why is this a struggle? Why, do you ever think about why we all fall into this in some way? Well, the reality is, is that because of our sin, our sin nature, our brokenness, we are hardwired to search for comfort and contentment anywhere outside of Jesus, right? And I don't know what your reasons are, but I want to share four of mine. And the first one is fear. I'm afraid that Jesus isn't enough. You know, we sang that song before we, before we started, you know, your grace is enough. And I can sing that song, and, and I believe it in my head, but I don't know if I believe it in my heart. And I'm afraid that if I let go of my gluttony, let go of those things that I turn to to try to find comfort, that I'm going to be the most miserable person on the planet, right? And life is going to be so dry and boring. And now I believe Church, that Jesus is greater than anything that we could have in this life or in the next. I believe that in my head, but I don't know if it's always settled into my heart. And I know this because, because if, if I look at how I really live my life day to day, does it really say that, man, Jesus is the greatest thing? Or does it say more is the greatest thing? The next one is control. You know, I know what the Bible says about gluttony. But at the core of my being, I don't want to be told no, right? I don't want to be told no, and I don't want to say no to myself, right? I, want, I trust Jesus for my salvation, but I struggle to let go of my day-to-day life with its gluttony, right? It's just like I love these things, and I hold on to them. I also think of comfort, right? I want the easy life. I want the American dream, right? I want Wi-Fi and air conditioning, you know, it's like, I don't, raise your hand if you go tent camping. You don't have to do that. (laughs) Like, you know, we we invented houses, and it's awesome. People are like, why do you like being at home so much? It's like, well, I pay a lot to live there, and that's where all my stuff is, and, you know, I want Wi-Fi and air conditioning and easy friends, you know, nice cars, good seats at the stadium, sunshine, grass that mows itself, you know, delicious, amazing food that's also cheap. You know, we love that, right? We want comfort. We want more. We love buffets, you know, and I want to be unaware of the struggles in the world so it doesn't mess up my comfortable life. When we go to Mexico on short-term mission, on the way back, we go through this town called Progreso, which is a tourist trap, and then you have to walk across a bridge to get back to the U.S. And when you go across the bridge, down under the bridge are people who are just desperate, right? I mean, they're at the bottom. They're just begging for pesos so they can buy food for them and their kids. And so whoever's in charge did a very wise move and put up corrugated metal there so you can't see them, but you can still see them through the cracks, right? And isn't that what we want? We want that bridge over the poor with the corrugated cardboard so we don't have to realize that they're there, so we don't have to do something about it. It doesn't impact our comfortable life. And then the the fourth one is is I struggle with disbelief, you know? I, I, I think that this life should be heaven, that Jesus owes me a certain standard of living. It's like I want Jesus, but I also want what this world offers, and so I find myself towing the line. 
You know, I want to believe. It's like I believe, but I don't always follow. And there's a big difference between the two. Gluttony really is that belief that life can be found somewhere outside of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that it can't. It's the hope that true spiritual peace and rest and contentment, satisfaction and joy can be found somewhere out there in our world. And if we haven't found it yet, it's because we just need a little bit more. It's obsessive and it's addictive because the things of which I'm looking to have no ability to give me what Jesus can give me. And at best, the satisfaction of these things, it's always short-lived. And so because of that, I'm always looking for more and I build up a tolerance to it. And so I just need more and more and more and more. And I go back again, I'm looking for it all the time because this physical created world will never give me what Jesus can give me. It will never provide rest for your heart. And so the bottom line, again, is that you don't have to do it. You don't have to let more be your Lord. So what about you, though? I shared my four. Underneath the gluttony, what is it? What is there? Because gluttony isn't the problem, all right? Gluttony is the symptom of something in your heart that is empty, looking for something to fulfill it. And so what's the solution? The solution is Jesus, And I know that you may hear that and that you may think that sounds kind of trite or cliche, but hear me out because you may not want to hear that, but the reality is is that I don't have another way. So I want to ask you a difficult question. Do you believe in God or do you believe God? And that may sound like a nonsense question, but there's an important distinction because a lot of people believe in God, right? And yet don't believe him in what he says about who he is and about who we are and about our sin and our brokenness. Maybe you believe that Jesus died on the cross, but do you believe that he died on the cross for you? Because because if you don't believe that, then the gospel just becomes abstract. It's a belief for salvation, it's a belief for forgiveness, but it's not a belief that, that could actually change your life. That can change the way you live, that can change your brokenness, that can heal it. Because you and I have no ability whatsoever to liberate ourselves from sin, including, including gluttony, but God's grace can, and it's a gift. And since you and I are unable to run from or change our heart, we have to depend on God's powerful, transforming grace to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So what does that look like on a, on a street-level view of your life? How do we live out that bottom line of not letting more be our Lord? You know, I like to be very practical. You know, what does this look like tomorrow? Because I want you to know, just because I work at a church, I'm not standing up here just because I'm a pastor saying like, hey, I've got this figured out and I'm trying to get you all right. Okay, I'm not. I'm telling you that I'm walking through this with you. And my solution is this, is to pray. And again, that may say, sound cliche or trite, but, but connection with Jesus is the way that this changes. But I want to give you a warning to not pray this. Do not pray, Lord, take my gluttony away. Instead, pray this, Lord, help me to apply the gospel to this area in my life. Show me what is broken. Show me what I'm really looking for 
and my gluttony and help me to believe in my heart and in not just in my mind that your death on the cross and your resurrection and the reality of your spirit living inside of me and that that can actually change me. Help me to see the incredible beauty of that so it makes everything else in this world seem worthless in comparison. You see, you and I are so forgetful. I think that we forget oftentimes that, that God, that Jesus is with us, that his spirit lives inside of us and his wisdom and power are available to us. We think about the gospel as something that happened 2,000 years ago and, and fail to remember that it's happening in us every single moment of every single day. Ask God, God, would you please be the treasure in my life? Be where my heart goes. Be what I'm looking for. And so I want to give you three practical next steps. First, I want, you to, I want to ask you this question. What kingdom are you seeking, right? Are you seeking the kingdom of God or are you seeking the kingdom of more? Well, how would you know? Well, if somebody were to look at your schedule, your debit card statement, all of those things, what would they conclude is most important in your life? Or this, how do you react to people or situations that get in the way of more in your life, right? Is there a hostile reaction because they're a threat to your comfort, they're a threat to your more? Or do you see them as a potential means of God's work in your life to free you from that gluttony? The second one is this, which is chair time, right? And if you're not familiar with this, at the chapel we talk about the row, the circle, the chair, and go. And the chair is just your time together with Jesus that you seek out each day. And so my question is, is there enough margin in your life where you can consistently and genuinely get alone with Jesus without any distractions, or is your life so strained from your event gluttony that you have pushed communion with Jesus out? Because the opposite of gluttony is self-control. And what do you know? Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in uh, Galatians 5.22. And what's interesting is Jesus said that if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will what? Bear much fruit. So if you want self-control in your life to overcome your gluttony, then the way to get that is through remaining in Jesus, staying connected with him. And the last one, this is a difficult one. Ask someone else if there's addictions in your life. Not just alcohol, drugs, those types of things, but anything. And then listen to what they say because they've probably got a better view of you than you do. Our capacity for self-deception is infinite. I'm pretty good at talking myself into stuff I shouldn't do. Right? I mean, I never have to talk myself into eating a salad, right? I just like do it because I know it's right. But I can oftentimes talk myself into doing something I shouldn't do because I deserve it. It's been a hard day. I worked out extra, whatever it is. So listen. Because imagine if self-control, which is the opposite of gluttony, wasn't a constant struggle, but an effect, a side effect of a closer relationship with Jesus. How would you feel? Imagine this. Do you think your life would be better? Do you think those around you would be better? Do you think your kids or your spouse would be happier if you had more, did more, bought more, drank more, ate more, or if you had more Jesus in your life? Again, don't let more be your Lord. And so you've basically got three options after you've heard, all, heard me talk about this for a half hour now. Is you, can, you got three things. One, you can keep doing what you're doing, right? And in the words of the great philosopher, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? Two, you can try harder, which you've probably already done that, right? New Year's is coming up. You'll make another resolution. Or three, you can consider what I'm saying. Because hear this, Jesus lived and died 
not just to secure your eternity, not just to secure your salvation, but to give you victory in this life so you don't have to be a slave to sins such as gluttony, so you don't have to let more be your Lord. And so I close with this prayer from Tim Keller. Lord, there's never been a society like mine where the powerful forces of the media, marketing, and culture urge me to gratify my desires for comfort and pleasure. You died with only one possession, your robe. Oh, make me wise here, neither legal, legalistically enjoying hardship for its own sake, nor avoiding it. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, don't let more be your Lord. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next Sunday.